The Agostin Hosinga Show with your host Agostin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Agostino Zinger Show, episode number 526 with I, your host, Agostino Zinger. That's episode number 526 of the Agostino Zinger Show with I, your host, Agostino Zinger. I hope you're doing well wherever this darn little, small, tiny, itsy bitsy podcast may find you. Hope you are well. I hope you are well. So, Many things to talk about today. Obviously, over the weekend, there's been some rather upsetting and troubling news that we should probably speak about and expand on. So I'm not going to waste any time and just dive on into the topic straight away. One thing that I have been thinking about a lot lately, weirdly enough, has been Sweetie. Not in a conventional sense, right? I'm not getting my wood out and rubbing one out to the, you know, to pictures of her doing her thing or whatnot. Just more so around the whole 2000 first week sales thing. On the first hand, I'm thinking, you know what? There isn't enough conversation, especially in hip hop, I feel like, or especially with the newer, younger generation of kids. They seem to care a lot more about first week sales than the quality of their actual music. You don't really hear many people, um, especially prominent hip hop voices. You know, I, I think of somebody like a DJ Academics. I don't really think there is a similar DJ Academics page that exists that focuses on lyrics, that breaks down choruses, that dissects, you know, pr- you know, that that's just the construct the construction of a song um maybe goes through this discography and all those really cool things it's mostly all drama it's mostly all salacious things that kind of does it's a bit of a cyclical thing right it kind of breeds it because those pages only cover those kind of things i feel like the, the artists themselves kind of play up to it a little bit as well so you don't really get that much emphasis on the music which i think is a weird thing to say but it's kind of has some truth in it maybe the reason why the music is so a bit meh and drab and then when one half decent project comes out like her loss everyone goes crazy because you know we've created this weird ecosystem where the only way you get covered is if you're a drama and if you're in you know if, if you have a viral moment that has nothing to do with music and if you are just focusing on the music no one covers you look at somebody like a tired creator he's pretty much unproblematic he doesn't necessarily have big scandals attached to his name, but when he just focuses on the music, focuses on his live show and servicing these fans, you don't really see him get covered by most of the major black hip hop sort of like blog and meme pages. Maybe his audience maybe dictates that because a lot of those pages might think he might have a more of a white audience, but I still think there needs to be a bit of a shift. And I'm hoping, weirdly enough, that it might come off the back of that sweetie thing where people might see actually if you keep obsessing over the sales it will eventually come biting in the ass because you can't always sell a million records i'm sure you know someone like an eminem is a good example i'm sure eminem probably doesn't sell as many first week as he did when he first came out and he was the number one artist in the world not even rapper artist so eventually time will dictate 
that your sales will dwindle. It doesn't mean you're bad at what you're doing. It just means you might lose some fans. It might mean the people that are into your stuff aren't buying it as much, whatever. Stuff happens. You lose fans along the way. But if you keep focusing on a number, eventually it will come back you in the ass. And there's no bigger example, of course, than Kanye West, right? He was there boasting and bragging about how much money he has. And if you don't have a particular amount of money, then you're not going to be able to talk to him or to tell him anything. And then suddenly the universe comes and says, oh, here's a reminder. There you go. You don't have as much as you had before. You still got a lot than most people. People, but you don't have as much as before so all this might all this all this kind of value you're placing on money um is really kind of misplaced all this stuff about sales because it can literally go the minute zero but for the most part when it comes to artistry i feel like that's where a real artist kind of earns their bread and butter that's what really separates the wheat from the chef because you know if you've got a good marketing team behind you if you've got a decent amount of people in the press that can cover you you can by all intents and purposes position yourself in a place where you look successful where you look like you're that guy or that you're that girl but really in the in the kind of broad sense of the word or in the real sense of the word the streets aren't really fucking with you like that totally and you maybe see that with what's going on the suite and it made me think also about the stuff that i do on my end and even the stuff that i'm pursuing when it comes to djing and whatnot for the most part there is this idea that exists out there not sure if it's true or maybe people are just reading into it but i don't think they are because i remember listening to this live stream no i remember listening to a i was watching a video actually on i think by ims i think it was like an yeah, ims which is a for music summit and they had these you know people from the industry and dance music and nightlife and club culture involved all these owners of bars all these owners sorry, all those of clubs all these owners of agencies and booking firms and whatnot a management team blah 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 and one guy i remember in particular was talking about how it's a sort of accepted but somewhat resisted part of the industry that there is a element of the bookings that's centered around booking somebody as a really decent social media following it's just the part of business. You can't ignore that. You can't ignore the fact that somebody is making a lot of noise online. I think of somebody like a Party Boy 69 might be a good example. Somebody who I feel like on my side of things, maybe he blew up for another reason. But from what I remember, I remember seeing him being shared on social media, on YouTube more often. And people are, look at this mad guy with this green screen, with this wacky look. You know, looks looks like a bit of a div, but can actually DJ for real. And that kind of was what he kind of used to propel his career forward. And I guess some bookers out there look at those metrics and look at those views and those engagements and they kind of use that as a basis to kind of you know uh draw into their decision making process about who they book so naturally if that's the case if you're a dj and you're, you're an artist you'd be dumb not to focus or to be aware of that and maybe that might lead you to go out and buy views it might lead you to go out and buy likes buy comments buy engagement and unfortunately unfortunately it looks like it works because there's some people out there for sure that i think we can all agree on there's no way these people have that many people watching their streams or their live streams when they're djing or buying their records or you know liking their flipping posts on social media it's just impossible you don't really it doesn't make any sense really for the most part if you really are kind of cynical about it or you just judge it with a kind of you know um with an eye where you remove any kind of agenda or bias you just look at it plainly you think you know what that doesn't add up so clearly there is um there is a there is a thing about it that kind of you know has been ingrained in the industry people are obviously responding to it because it definitely works and can propel you forward but i think in general even though what you're even though the non-buying of views and engagement is the long way to go around things it really is and it probably is the toughest way ever it's sort of similar to like trying to apply for a job 
if you try and apply for a new job, probably getting an introduction from a friend might go a long way. It probably will go a long way to get intro. But to do it by yourself takes far longer. But in my opinion, I think it's far more rewarding. But if you have a friend that can help you out, why wouldn't you use them as a resource? So I can kind of see it on both sides. But I think taking in consideration what's happened to Sweetie, I think you're probably better off just slumming it with your 10 views, 20, 50, 100, whatever you're doing in terms of, you know, maybe no one's buying the magazine that you're putting out there. You're doing a couple of sales. You can't do that clout thing that everyone does or that ego boost and patting yourself thing that people do without have their own businesses where they take pictures of all the, you know, postal bags that they're sending out. Maybe that's not in your destiny for right now, but it will be if you stick to it. But I think you are doing yourself a disservice and your potential future customers if you fake the funk. Because how gratifying and cool is it to start with somebody when they're a complete nobody? To kind of start with somebody when not many people know about who they are. Like I remember when I first saw Blood Orange, right? I saw him play in a basement par called Yalla by Dawson many, 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 many years ago. This was a time when whatever that album is that's got Subtin Boulevard was on. And I remember seeing him play live in front of my face. And obviously by that time I was already a fan. But it's amazing to see him go from being that blood orange to being this version of Dev Hines now at the moment where he's leading orchestras and shit. And he's scoring movies and doing crazy amount of cool shit. It's cool to see that like in incremental steps. Now if you would have tried to fake the funk and pretend like he was a Wembley Arena level artist back then, it would have been a crappy journey to be a part of. But because he presented himself in a somewhat quote-unquote humble way which i hate that term humble because i feel like it's a kind of a way to sun people and to kind of keep them in their corner so they don't step out of line or they don't kind of you know have their own point of view or flex themselves like similar to when people say you need to pay your dues essentially it's them saying you need to lick my boot which i completely hate but for lack of a better term he stayed somewhat humble i'd assume even though he had a pretty pretty extensive archive or catalog uh, as an artist with his previous you know pseudonym under flipping lightspeed champion and then he slowly but surely evolved over time and you got to see that in real time especially me as a fan so i think as an artist you really owe it to yourself to not fake views to not buy engagement to not do any of that stuff because in the end it will come and bite you in the ass because sometimes if you have 13 million followers and you sell 2,000 copies first week even though i don't care about first week copies i don't think that matters at all music lives on far you know longer than when when people are around living nowadays so maybe there's a track on their album from sweetie that might end up being a moment that kind of it might be a track that captures a feeling that might live on future it might be reinterpreted you never know you know what i mean there's always duds that come out then later on down the line they turn into hits you never know but i feel like the one thing that makes that situation far more embarrassing and a little bit more alarming is the fact that she has 30 million followers on instagram you can't have 30 million followers on instagram if that's legit which it clearly isn't and only sell 2,000 copies of an album that's just not on that's just crazy talk you know i i know that doesn't you know it's not a one it's not a one plus one equals two thing similar to when i made that example of facebook events you know when you put an event up on facebook and all your friends click like doesn't mean that's all the people that are going to your flipping party that'd be dumb to say but if you've got 13 million followers you should be able to shift more than 2,000 albums and i think the reason why she did it is because her engagement and her following is fake so that's why the kind of opening message of this pod is don't fake the engagement don't fake the followers it's not a cope for me because people will come out and say oh, it's a cope because you don't get many views yourself no it's not a cope i'm fairly okay and comfortable and you know 
what you call it with the journey that I'm currently on because I'm just doing this particularly for fun. I enjoy doing this. I'm not I'm not doing this like a DSP thing, doing this on YouTube all the time to beg for tips and donations and shit. I do this because I love this and I enjoy it and it obviously gives me some sort of a benefit in terms of uh, mental clarity and just helps to kind of quiet quieten my psychosis in some way, shape or form. But overall I do think there is a weird kind of pressure that exists with your creative to kind of fake that engagement to make yourself look a certain way when i think in general honestly starting off with like one follower no likes no posts until you get to a point where you know thousands of people are engaging with stuff that you do is a far better way to go about things than to try to fake the funk because eventually you will get found out eventually you will get found out and you know i think we've been kind of proved that with what's going on nowadays then I want to quickly jump upon this and just speak about this because, you know, might as well just get this out of the way. I don't really want to play the interview clips and stuff because we all know Wagwan. But obviously most of you are aware that Ye, the artist formerly known as Kanye West, appeared on InfoWars alongside Nick Fuentes and Alex Jones. It was quite startling to see Nick Fuentes and Alex Jones ever known Milo. But now having learned that Milo and Ye have kind of broke up, I think the, the story going around is that some people from the kanye kind of fan size were able no i think no sorry not that people i think it might have been laura luma what leaked some dms that she got from milo back in the day of him flipping you know insulting yay and calling him certain terms or whatever it may be and then she passed it on to him and i guess they had some communication behind that consequence got involved and eventually milo ended up parting ways with yay's presidential campaign but that was the first thing that point i was thinking oh i wonder why um yay's sitting there with nick fences but not milo that would be a perfect chance for him to kind of restart his career especially after what he went through and everything else but clearly they're not together anymore and the major thing to come out of this interview isn't the milo not being there of course it was um, Kanye going on, going completely nuclear on his anti-Semitism world tour, right? His promo tour, trying to kind of, you know, remind people, no, 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 I'm really on that time. You know what I mean? All these words you think I can't say, I'm going to say, which is funny because it reminds me of a child, you know, when you're like a kid first swears and you say, no, no, no don't say that word. And if it's a naughty kid, they'll just like, they'll give you that sinister smile, like, and they'll say it again. That's what Kanye kind of reminds me of. Like, the more you tell him not to say things, the more you end up saying it so the, if, if people just pretended like you know being an anti-semite wasn't that big of a deal or they just didn't react to the things that he said he would probably go away that's the funny thing about it but i think because the attention is kind of his fuel source and he loves that it kind of goes the other way but my hot text to take away from all this because you know we know the stuff that he said was wrong we know it was bad blah 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 that's all boring my hot take i've got to take from this is that i feel like it's pretty fun to watch. And I say this only as an outside observer. I say this only as somebody that doesn't know the guy. I'm not his friend. I'm not connected to him in any sort of way. I love his art, you know, his music, um, his fashion, his sneaker design, um, his stage direction, um, everything around him, right? I love all that stuff about him. And I'm, and I'm one of those people who can separate the art from the artist. But as just a casual observer from the outside, it is quite interesting to see somebody of his level of celebrity, his level of fame, his level of infamy, his level of monetary success and all that sort of stuff purposely and willfully kind of destroying their career. It's pretty cool to see that because there's this term that gets bounded around stuff that I've kind of thought about a lot, um, which I kind of hold in my head a lot about the term fuck you money, right? The ability to have a certain amount of wealth that allows you to say fuck you to people to establishments to opportunities whatever it be so you're kind of um move to the beat of your own drum 
you're not sort of swayed um by the uh decision making decision making processes of big corporations or whatnot you don't depend on them for your money to pay your rent or to feed your children you basically are self-sufficient in some way shape or form to the, to the point where you can say fuck you and i think for the most part we don't see enough people saying fuck you nowadays it's not necessarily a thing that people do everyone's got a brand to protect everyone's got relationships to protect relationships to you know uh m- massage relationships that they still haven't even you know started the initial conversations about everyone's always kind of really scared about those kind of things you see a lot on twitter where people don't want to write a certain word in a certain way so they use you know apostrophes or they star it because they don't want the fan base to come after them or they don't want just in case that they ripped this certain designer another brand might see it and they might google your name and see you said that thing and then they might not get the job all these things everyone's afraid everyone's shook of getting cancelled all this kind of stuff so it's pretty cool to see somebody like a Kanye at his level basically decide I'm not bound by those limitations or those kind of prisons that are put around me as a celebrity and I'm going to say exactly what I want um, to the point where I'm legitimately getting to the point where I'm inciting violence and now we're going to see how far this celebrity bullshit goes because he's getting to the point where he's going to start inciting violence we already saw it a tiny little bit with those wild kids I think they were in, I don't know where they were I'm going to say LA because I think they were trolling, but maybe they weren't, where those kids were standing on an overpass doing the Heil Hitler salute, holding up signs, um, saying they love yay and hate Jude or something crazy like that. So I'm interested to see as a society or as, uh, you know, um, as a global community of people, what actually happens? Like, what's the end point of this? When you have a celebrity of his ilk, of his influence, of his reach, and he keeps saying everything that he wants to say, the way he wants to say it, with no real end line in sight, what happens next like what's the next thing that happens after this that's what i'm curious to see but i also think this made me remind this kind of reminded me of this little clip that i saw of john jones on a podcast speaking about how he would mentally prepare for a francis and garno fight and i felt like this might be something that john figmajiggy that kanye west had in mind when he decided to enter into this phase of his career where he's just saying exactly what he wants he's not being um you know he's not going to be constrained by societal norms or by you know morals or principles or common laws of decency he's just going to say exactly how he feels regardless of who it might offend um who it might upset and what the consequences may may be and deal with the chips as they may fall so this is john jones talking about his game plan with uh, if you for his perspective fight with francis and Garner. It's very simple. Get comfortable with the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is he knocks you the fuck out. He possibly fractures a bone in your face. That's the worst case scenario. You get real comfortable with that idea and then it becomes easy. If he doesn't knock you out and break your face, you're smart, you're fast, you have a chin, you have great head movement, you know, you, you can wrestle, you can there's there's a lot of there's a lot of ways things things can play out. So I just think about the worst case scenario. And get yourself mentally to a place where you're almost walking into that. Like, okay, I'm getting ready to go out there and this guy could possibly hurt me tonight. Okay. I believe that he has a chance to knock me the fuck out. Let's say, let's say that out loud. But um, if I don't get knocked out, I believe I win that fight. I just got to get through round one and I win that fight. It's very simple. And I feel like that's exactly where Kanye is coming from. He's thinking to himself, what's the worst case scenario here? I lose a deal with Adidas. Hmm. It's a big deal because my 
you know my identity and my self-worth is intrinsically tied to being a billionaire which adidas essentially allowed me to be cool but i can i can get that back in some way shape or form it doesn't have to be adidas it could be feeler it could be reebok it could be sketches it could be timberland it could be whoever who would kind of you know will willingly and happily welcome him back into the fold because there's no denying the guy's blockbuster gap deal the same thing applies to that um relationship with people in the industry doesn't necessarily matter because you know if the business is good the people behind the scenes who manage those people will tell them to do the particular deals no none of those guys be, you know in the industry have real principles or morals we're already seeing it with the balenciaga thing they don't really stand for anything for the most part so he knows that could always be rescued he's things with his friends and family does he, he doesn't really strike me as somebody who cares too much about the thoughts and feelings of his friends and family especially post his mother dying so maybe he's gone through all of those mental um exercises in his head and he's got to the point where he knows it's never going to really be that bad because the people that really rock with Kanye, the people that really rock with Ye, they're on his back. There's been some kind of you know uproar and sort of you know um, reaction against what he said. I saw on the KTT KTT two forum, which is formerly called uh, Kanye to the Ye forum or Kanye to the E, I think of course. I forgot what it's called. Yeah, that one. That forum has taken off his artist profile on a little subsection thing. You can still find his section, but it's kind of been it's kind of harder to click on it um the west sub ever which i thought was the best kanye subreddit that's now been shut down um the other kanye subreddits have eventually been turned into holocaust awareness per, um, subreddits some of them been turned into pseudo taylor swift subreddits because you know she's essentially the opposite of kanye and clearly they have their own little history so i feel like for the most part the actual fans the ones that are diehard kanye the ones who who basically sustained him throughout this entire time anyway the ones who were right who, who have his back regardless they're always going to be there and i think he's finally realized that and he's decided to push it to its extreme and see where it goes so me as a fan who has no real stake or interest in this whatsoever because i'm not really you know my thoughts and feelings aren't swayed or influenced by what a celebrity has to say much so a celebrity tries to come into politics that's one thing that i just have no time for whatsoever you can do your make-believe on stage or behind on the screen you can make your cool songs you can maybe you know um, influence silhouettes and colors and shapes of clothes here and there because you're you've got cool style yourself and you make some cool trainers but trying to talk to the everyday people trying to be you know trying to write policy trying to enact social change from that pulpit is just gross beyond belief so i don't necessarily care what this man has to say about anything and plus he's in america you know doesn't necessarily bother me in the slightest but i'm interested to see how far this goes just from a outsider's point of view how far will it go how much can celebrity let you get away with like for real for real obviously to some extent he's not going away with a lot because he'd been monetarily punished but if if all if the only value in life you place is money then obviously he's probably down in the dumps but personally for me i feel like he's in a position if he puts out another sick album if he puts together another sick collection it all changes again it's just as simple as that in life it's much like sports if you are super if you are supremely talented to the point where people can you know latch on their brand lecture on their product or services to you to generate more for themselves you are always always going to be of value the moment you lose value is when your talent disappears for any number of reasons but as long as your talent is intact, is intact sorry you'll be completely fine and the point and the proof is in the pudding clearly this man you know maybe should be on some sort of medication isn't on it and he's still performing at this level so it clearly shows that as long as he keeps himself 
on this close to breaking point level he's going to be perfectly fine in terms of his future prospects because i don't necessarily think this really does anything for the most part because this is always going to be the natural end anyway he was going to he was always going to get to a point where he says out loud i love hitler especially with all those kind of press articles that was coming out and hush hush stories van Leifen being one of the first people to go on record and saying he wanted to originally call i think he said the the the, ter- the story was he wanted to call the album that was called um Jesus originally he wanted to call that Hitler but obviously he got talked down from it that was back when he was maybe just you know a bit shy of embracing his troll side or his dark side but now he's clearly on that wave but that aside can we also talk one minute about the outfit this legitimately one might be one of the greatest outfits I've ever seen on Alex Jones or on Infowars ever ever or in the history of flipping television interviews like the holy bible next to him him wearing the demna era um you know veteran jacket with the motocross or well, the bomber yeah the motocross inspired bomber hooded jacket that's flipping incredible and it's a mad grail especially in my collection for me being obsessed with demna then you've also got the veteran demna gimp hoodie i'm pretty sure it's not a mask i'm pretty sure that's, that's a hoodie that also comes with gloves i'm pretty sure i'm not too sure if it's the same one but i remember seeing it in one collection i think it's the one where they're walking on tables so this is like a defining era demna that he's wearing so in a weird way it's him also showing support for his friend Demna, who's going through a whole heap of madness with Balenciaga and that kid's gate. But it's also him reminding everybody that, you know, he is the freshest out there when it comes to fashion, even when he's, you know, throwing flowers at flipping Adolf Hitler at the same time. Absolutely incredible to watch in real time. Absolutely incredible. And to be honest, it really does test your standard if you are a hardcore Yay fan. Like, how far are you willing to go for your fandom? Especially if you're Jewish. <laughs> like, what do you do? Do you put that to one side? Can you separate the art from the artist? Woo, it's a whole lot of madness. A whole heap of madness. Moving on from that one, I wanted to quickly also touch upon this. This story broke a couple of days ago. It's regarding a lady called Nguzu Ngozi, sorry, Fulani. Lady Suzanne Hussey's race comments were abuse, says Charity Boss. I love that the person she's accusing it, her name is Lady Susan Hussey right lazy susan 40 lazy susan hori haha <laughs> get it because it's hussy means anyway so ngozi ngozi fulani she's a head of a charity that's meant i think it's a charity for awareness about domestic abuse called sister space if i'm not mistaken and she was at some function that i think was to do with sister space her own charity and lady hussu lady susan hussey was also there they get they happen to cross paths and get into some sort of conversation and the conversation then sort of die gets to a point where lady susan hussey asks Nguzi fulani where she's from and they get into this really i think hilarious conversation that I've often had myself in certain spaces, which I can understand why someone would think it's racist, but to be honest, having read the exchange and seen different accounts of it, it just sounded like to me two ladies having a bit of a polite bitchy moment, right? Where they were both trying to um, sun each other, if that's a term that makes any sense, but they were trying to be polite about it and not offend. That's what it kind of sounds like to me. It doesn't really sound like people that Lady Susan Hussey was trying to be racist, in my opinion. It just sounds like they both think very highly of themselves. They both are maybe eyeing each other up and down, checking out each other's jewels, checking out each other's clothes. And they decided to get into this weird, you know, underlying 
you know, hate-on-hate verbal exchange that basically resulted in Lady Susan Hussey losing her job because everyone thinks she's racist for asking a lady who looks like this where she might be from. Like, absolutely crazy. But anyway, let's play the clip from BBC News that I think I clipped on my Twitter that I show you that can kind of tell you a little bit about the exchange and you can judge what you think if this was a racist exchange or not. Where are you from? Miss Fulani, sister space. No, where do you come from? We're based in Hackney. No, what part of Africa are you from? <laughs> I don't know. They didn't leave any records. <sighs> Lady Hussey went on. No, but what nationality are you? I am born here and I'm British. No, but where do you really come from? Where do your people come from? My people, lady. What is this? <laughs> lady Hussey. Oh, I can see I'm going to have a challenge getting you to say where you're from. When did you first come here, Miss Fulani? Lady, I am a British national. My parents came here in the 50s. Oh, I knew we'd get there in the end. You're Caribbean. So you're Caribbean. But anyway, you know the funny thing is I really wish the BBC narrator said um Lady Nguzi Fellaini's um did Lady Nguzi Fellaini's accent in like a faux Nigerian accent or something. That would have been so hilarious. She's probably not even from Nigerian, but you know, the, the kind of conventional go to African accent everyone does is Nigerian or Ghanaian or some sort of mix between the two. I'd love it if she did if he did her in voice. <laughs> It'd be like meta or meta or meta, innit? But um bless losing Susan Hussey, um losing Sus Lord fucking know her flipping name is horrendous, isn't it? Lady Susan Hussey, bless her, because I don't think she deserves to lose her job because she lost her job at the back of this. So my thoughts and feelings on this, just from an outsider perspective. I completely you know, I'm quite has empathy for both sides i understand as annoying as i think this lady is lady sue lady ngozi fulani because i do think she's a bit of a professional victim like she ran to this and is basically using this as a little five minutes of fame she got the woman flipping sex from her job like it's it's like it's giving hater it's giving hater energy there was no real re reconciliation um she she basically saw the worst intent possible in the things that that lady said um she was invited to have some sort of face-to-face -face conversation with lady susan hussey at the whatever buckingham palace and i guess she probably maybe rejected it in a mark of solidarity of her people i don't know some nonsense but essentially took away i guess the attention from her charity that she's got that was fighting for a good cause and it kind of made it all about her which maybe was the whole point because i have this weird theory that maybe like i said before that they kind of just got into like a woman fight like verbally right passive aggressive verbal fight that kind of weirdly centered around where you're from but i also maybe think you know she's doing this she has this charity it's doing great things it's obviously advocating for a good cause um she gets a decent turnout her event, event her gala it's all about her everyone's shaking their hands you know kissing her cheek she's having a good time and then suddenly lady susan hussey walks in and all the attention shifts towards her because she's by extension a member of the royal family and suddenly now you've been upstaged at your own event so in order to kind of bring somebody down you get into this conversation and you make it all about yourself and you've kind of become the star of the show again once again again that's a bit of a reach a bit of a hot take but hey it's youtube it's podcasting you got to do these things from time to time i have sympathy for lady and goes with laney because i like myself though well i have sympathy for late i have sympathy for Nguzi Fulani because with my name i often get the where you're from conversation a lot and it can be annoying but I understand that I also have a name that isn't 
the most common name in the world, right? I'm pretty sure a lot of you haven't bumped into, uh, you know, many Agostino Zingas out there in the world. And if you have, definitely let me know. I'd love to see what these people look like. But I'm sure I'm pretty okay with my name being uncommon and people maybe having questions as to why a guy that looks like myself would have a name that sounds Italian, that sounds, you know, um, Portuguese, that might sound Spanish to some people, whatever it may be. Right? I understand people have those kind of questions and I'm open to speaking about them. I don't really give a shit too much about it. But I'm also not one of these people who um, places too much value in that kind of level of identity to the point where it makes my whole identity. You know how people walk around with like the African continent thing as a necklace and stuff. I don't, I'm not really that, I'm not patriotic when it comes to Africa. I'm not patriotic when it comes to the UK. Whatever I'm born, I'm born wherever I live, I live. I just think the, the value of a person isn't necessarily determined about where they're from, which is cool. Identity is one thing to get behind, but it's about who you are as an actual person, who you eventually grow up to be, the lessons that you learn, the relationship you have with people. All these things are probably way more important than where you are from as being the defining part of your character and who you are and framing your whole entire personality. And I think it's a little bit offensive. It's, it's a, I don't know. It's a little bit offensive to everyone's intelligence to somehow take an innocuous question like somebody asking you where you're from when you're legitimately dressed, like I said before, where you go out sort of dressed in this particular way, which is not no not a shame on the lady, but she clearly goes out wearing certain garments, you know, with a certain style, with a certain twist on them, you know, for whatever effect, whether it's comedic, whether it's what she really thinks looks good on her, whatever it may be. But honestly, you can't say, why are you asking me where I'm from when you look like this? I'm sorry, you just can't. It's like guys who get offended if somebody asks them, oh, are you into fashion? And you're wearing a rainbow coat or something, right? Or you've got your hair, or you've got flipping, or you're wearing a skirt with tabby sandals and stuff. And people are asking questions about where your skirt's from, where your shoe's from. And you start getting offended at that stuff. Don't be an idiot. The common everyday person outside is wearing, you know, for them flipping, they, her sneakers are spicy. So imagine if you're walking down the street with a pair of tabbies and a tartan skirt on. Of course, they're going to ask you where you're from, why are you wearing that, what are you into, blah, blah, blah. It's a, it's a standard question any regular civilian would ask. And if anything, you should probably be way more excited to share your story and your inspirations and your interests with the average everyday person then it would be with somebody that's just going to suck your dick anyway in terms of people that are into stuff that you're into. If you're in your little scene of, you know, activists and... Um, what you, what you call it, um, people that own charities and have these little, because I always feel like the charity people and the theater people, especially in local council and stuff, they all have the similar kind of, like this exists in every kind of council, I feel like around London, these kind of like, you know, whatever, I don't know how to call them, but they've got them in all flipping places. It's all well and good talking around to yourself and having that kind of banter, but it's pretty, I think it's of more importance if you're able to share your culture, your traditions and your love for whatever it may be with the everyday person and get them educated on it in some way, shape or form, and maybe get them interested in it to the point where they might want to donate, they might want to participate, they, want, they might want to, I don't know, advocate for you and share the stuff that you're doing. That's far more interesting, I feel like, than just kind of preaching to the choir. But, you know, who am I to tell somebody whether, whether or not they should be offended at what people say to them? But I honestly do think this is really regrettable and a really kind of sad situation because if I'm not mistaken, Lady Susan Hussey did step down, which I think is absolutely crazy it says here close to the bbc article you see her in the car backseat car here with um um the late great lizzie 
It says here, Lady Susan Hussey was a key figure in the royal household for many decades. Having started working for the royal family in the same year, the queen was given birth to Prince Andrew in 1960. I'm sorry, bro. If this woman was around when Prince Andrew was born and you're expecting her to, to be woke, you are an absolute cunt. I swear to God, you are a cunt if you expect her to be woke and she was around. She was working for the royal family when Prince Andrew was born. Not that she was born then, she was working for them. Fuck, you know, she had, she had an N9 number in 1960. Are you crazy? And Buckingham Palace announced last week that Lady Hussey and other former ladies-in-waiting would subsequently be known as ladies of the household, a role which involves helping to um, host occasions at the palace. Actually, she wanted Lady Hussey to resign. This is what I think was the evil part of it from the Ngezi Fulani. Fulani, sorry. She asked Lady Hussey if she should resign or if she would, if she would accept her apology. Miss Fulani said, I would have preferred if it did not happen. So again, this continued passive-aggressive, not saying what you actually feel like verbal spat that they had continued in the after comments instead of saying yeah fuck that bitch sack her because she tried to insult me and basically call into question my britishness or englishness she then decides to go in this kind of mm, i would have preferred it if it didn't happen actually like if, if it was like she would if it was like she should be doing it with claps i would have preferred if it did not happen that's what it kind of feels like that kind of spicy you know um twitter flipping snap your neck kind of nonsense thing that people do it continues i have to keep the focus where it should be and that's against violence against women and girls no it isn't the focus is you look that's the focus every media flipping piece that's come out has had her blocking front and center you know flapping her yums about her bloody being racially abused because somebody dared to ask her where she was from why she's wearing african continent earrings like get out of here man this lady is fucking horrible i would this is a conversations um leader of the women's equality party mandu reed told bbc that lady hussey's questioning had been offensive racist and unwelcoming cool this is where i agree with this lady here let's take out one word offensive maybe unwelcoming yes if you're at a gala or at some event especially at those kind of you know tuxedo type events don't ask me where i'm from don't get into a political argument or whatever maybe make it fun make it loose ask me about sports let's talk about i don't know what kanye said let's talk about some album um whatever else it may be but making it all about race and politics and stuff is a bit boring maybe intrinsically those events are uh, you know opportunities for you to advocate for whatever social um thing that you're doing which is intrinsically tied to politics maybe but it would be nice if those things could be a bit loose where you get a chance to kind of talk shop and be a little bit r-rated with people in your little scene and you know you're not being recorded and you know this is kind of a closed event so you can kind of let the hair down and be a bit crazy and hang out and just speak normally and talk off the talk off the cuff but offensive i definitely agree i'm unwelcoming of, of course maybe because it's your event also but racist come on Come on, man. Nasir Asval, a former chief prosecutor of the Crown Prosecution Service. <laughs> Look at they getting involved to flip and talk about this. Who was also at the reception said, Lady Hussey also asked him about his heritage once and seemed to accept my answer. Manchester currently. Now Chancellor of the University of Manchester added, racism is never far away. All right, cool. Oh, who would have thought that a royal family that looks like that may have racist elements about them? <gasps> the shock and the horror. Pikachu face. But I honestly don't think that Lady Susan Hussey conversation was that. I honestly don't. But it does make you believe that um, conversation that um, Meghan Markle said they had where they were kind of wondering what colour her baby would come out and stuff. <laughs> For sure, I could have pictured them having that kind of conversation, but I don't think they're racist. <laughs> 
Uh, in a statement on Wednesday, Buckingham Palace said, we take this incident extremely seriously and investigated immediately to establish the full details. In this uh, instance, unacceptable and deeply regrettable comments have been made. We have reached out to Nguzi Fulani on this matter and are inviting her to discuss the elements of her experience in person if she wishes. If it's that traumatic and that hurtful to you, you shouldn't go, really. You shouldn't make it another occasion to go. She probably is going to go and wear a flipping Black Lives Matter dress or some bullshit like that, I'm pretty much sure. But if it really was distressing, you should stay at us at home and you shouldn't be... You shouldn't want to voluntarily go and speak to your abusers face-to-face just so they can hear your piece. They've heard your piece already, if you're really about that life. But, you know, she, she she's not really shy of the limelight, this lady, it doesn't seem like. He continues, In the meantime, the individual concerned would like to express her profound apologies for the hurt cause and has stepped aside from her honorary role with immediate effect. That is so horrendous, man. Lady Susan Hussey has seen, you know, many, many things in her life, has lived a very rich and privileged life, has been able to kind of ride on the coattails of the Rolls family for decades upon decades, living a cushy life where she gets to, you know, where the where the queen gets to take a, a flipping teddy bear that's handed to her by a peasant in the street and she hands it to Lady Hussey, who then hands it to another servant, who then hands it to another servant, who then hands it to another servant, who puts it into a bag and it goes and it ends up in some bin somewhere at the back of Buckingham Palace, right? Such an easy and hard life to live. And now it's all been taken away because she dared to ask some black lady <laughs> with dreadlocks. <laughs> and african continent <laughs> earrings um where she's from oh my god absolutely hilarious absolutely amazing but also i legitimately wish i had the ability to be such a victim and to play the race card to this extent i, I do use it as a bit of a bit in real life um those who know me in real life will know that I, I do love to play the whole race card thing as a as a bit of a bit as a joke and kind of lean into it a little bit but in real life i can never be that guy who kind of sees um white supremacy and oppression in every little thing that happens in my life like every time i get i know from a job i write back in reply you're racist or something right i wish i could be that person that could be happy with being a racial hire that would kind of champion um reparations that will champion affirmative action type things but i just can't i really can't i think it's really beneath people in general to use victimhood especially in the 21st century and beyond as a point to sort of launch your career or as a way to sort of advocate for the things you're saying or to increase your platform i think it's disgusting and it's in it's insult to your intelligence everyone's intelligence because if in any if anything i'd much rather try and compete on the playing field like everyone else does don't get me wrong is it harder to compete on the playing field when you do come from a marginalized community of course you don't have the same access to resources you don't have the same starting position you don't have the same connections and opportunities we know this blah 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 get out the violins but i think that journey is far more rewarding than you know saying then your journey being you'll propel to this point where you now become an advocate and a spokesperson for black people, which she's certainly not because you're not speaking for me, because you had this this kind of throwaway, bitchy, flipping exchange with an old lady where you were both trying to stunt on each other and it kind of devolved, you know, dissolved into some weird racial thing. It's not racism. It's just two old ladies having a spat and it ended horribly for one old lady. Clearly someone has to pay, but I think it's ridiculous and the reaction to it has been quite, quite silly. The only other, the only interesting part about it has been the surprise that some white people have had about this question. And the fact that I guess if you're white, you don't really ever have people asking you where you're really from. But for me, it's suffers really happen quite often, especially when you say, you know, I have a name like mine. I come from the country I come from. 
I'm born in a different place. I'm, you know, I brought up here. I have this accent. All these things come into play. So it clearly is something that can intrigue some people. But I feel like if you're not black or you're not from, you know, a minority community, you probably have never had to face up to those kind of questions. So to even hear somebody take offense to where you're from, it can sound a bit trite. But I can understand why it can get a bit annoying. But to say that that's a racism is really, really beyond. But I don't think racists legitimately care about where you're from that's just my opinion <laughs> i think if anything they want to bomb where you're from they don't want to care about where it is and what you guys do that would be my thinking anyway but hey what do i know what do i know next on here i wanted to talk about quickly and get out of the way because i've seen some people in the comments saying oh i guess he running away from the balenciaga um, flipping topic and scandal as if as if I'm running, why would I be running away from the Valenciaga conversation? Who am I really in the grand scheme of things? Even though Demon is my favorite designer and I love everything he does, and I still think, you know, Vetmar era Demna is probably one of the best eras, especially for myself, like seeing a, a, a designer go from like zero to 100 in real time. That was incredible to watch, and I still hold some of those pieces very close to my heart. And if ever there was a brand I wanted to emulate right now, in terms of what they were able to do to culture, what they were influence in terms of silhouettes, in terms of ideation, in terms of community, and that kind of stuff, it would definitely be them the era better more. But this whole thing with the kids gay at Blenciaga has been so, so funny to watch in real time. Really has been funny because you have this weird convergence that's been happening with like this um, conservative right with like super lefty um, liberal types with fashion Twitter or fashion social media and Instagram also included and with like, what would you call them? Um, like brand loyalist the kind of people who like only have things to say about stuff when everyone is saying it. But when it's time to say things about stuff that they probably should have a principled stance on, they just don't say that they don't say, say anything at all. They're kind of completely stum. Um, it's kind of all those people have kind of converging all at once. They're kind of all reaching this apex point where it's all kind of been blown up. So if you don't know anything about it, essentially Ben Shock has come into some hot water because of these adverts that they put out there promoting the kids line i guess that they were soon to be debuting and they decided in some of these spreads to include these images where they've got these little kids holding up these little golf bears right but some would interpret them as being bdsm bears because they do look like you know outfits that you might see somebody wear if they were going to a you know a kit kat a pornceptual a berghain or whatever maybe this is maybe what they might have worn if they was going to a um, crossbreed rip in all those little places so it makes sense why people would see that image or these images and be like horrified these little precious angels are carrying such demonic <laughs> um teddy bears right um especially once they're, st they're standing around strudel all this kind of you know over consumption and materialism in their rooms and stuff it's a little bit too much to deal with so um let's kind of just read the article and kind of go over what i think about it so earlier this month, Balenciaga dropped this holiday ad campaign featuring children holding teddy bears in bondage harnesses and costumes. The BDSM accessories were also on the runway of Balenciaga show of Paris Fashion Week. The backlash against the images has been swift, with the hashtag cancel Balenciaga trending across Twitter and tw TikTok, many accusing the brand of its creative director Demna of condoning pedophilia, transportation. In a separate ad that dropped in November 21st, promoting Balenciaga Spring 2023 collection, a bag of the fashion houses collaboration Adidas was photographed to top copies that 
appear to be documents from a Supreme Court case called United States and Williams, a ruling that upheld protection Protect Act, which increased federal protections against child pornography. Both campaigns quickly became conservative talking points and sparked conspiracy theories. So obviously, you see the thread there with the conspiracy theory shoot on there. On November twenty second, the Fashion House issued two statements via Instagram stories, apologizing for the plush bears, which they said should not have been featured in the child with children in this campaign, as well as the unsettling documents in a separate spring um, campaign. We take this matter very seriously and taking legal action against the parties responsible for our unapproved items of our spring twenty three campaign photo shoot. We strongly commend abuse of children in form. We stand for children's safety and well being. Now, my controversial point of view of this is that I don't necessarily think it's as big as the deal as people are making it out to be. But I also think it kind of displays and illustrates how vapid and empty most of fashion is. And it doesn't really stand on anything. It's all just art for the sake of art. And maybe this is also a natural kind of conclusion or the natural end point of trolling or trying to go with people into a reaction, which is them has always kind of done. Even at even at Vetema, I think the that 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 element of cynicism, of kind of mischief and stuff when it comes to fashion can sometimes get boring really quickly. And I think a lot of people jumped off Vetema for that because they felt that like they were getting constantly trolled and basically taking the piss out of in a kind of tongue in cheek, wink wink type of way. And some people just don't respond too well to it. I know myself, right? I've tried to joke and kind of you know. Um, kid around with some people and they just don't take it too well everyone's got kind of a breaking point and maybe in fashion some people just take their fashion seriously more than others and they want it to mean for they want it to stand for certain things and to stand against other things when really the name of the game is just to sell loads of clothes that we don't all need that will end up in the bottom of the ocean somewhere strangling a turtle that is the reality of this right some poor kid somewhere in india is stitching this stuff together for you know half a penny per hour and now we're arguing about fucking teddy bears absolutely crazy but it displays that to me it also displayed to me why context is probably the most important thing when it comes to fashion really really is the most important thing because the context of these teddy bears on the runway that Kanye West opened actually let's keep that also in mind right these fucking geniuses <laughs> decided to get him on board to lead that show out then he decided to go on the hill turn and they delete his image now what are they going to start deleting these pictures that's funny thing have they deleted these pictures though no they haven't delete the picture of Kanye walking down the runway but they don't delete the picture of a model holding a teddy bear hmm but these teddy bears were featured in the spring 2023 collection runway show and no one really raised much of a stink about them at all if anything no one said an absolute word when these were on the runway so it definitely goes to show that most people don't care they only care when it obviously affects them in any kind of certain way and because people hold children to be sacred and you put these bait you put these flipping horrendous bears which i think is just terrible to look at number one forget what the meanings or what they feelings they might elicit they're just ugly looking bears to so put those in the hands of these precious innocent angels is obscene and horrible and disgusting to say the least we all know this but as i said before context matters when those images in the runaway came out no one cared immediately you place those same bears um with some babies and then suddenly everyone's getting upset and everyone's getting pissy about it it also shows to me as well these companies don't really have that great of a handle on what society or larger society is doing they kind of exist in a run of the bubble because the reaction and the apologies and the you know clarifications from blend Chagra have been terrible probably been worse than the actual spread itself the fact that they try to not once or twice i think they try to 
basically throw the photographer under the bus, even though we know, even if you're not a fashion head, you should know that photographers have little to no say to the creative direction of a shoot. They're essentially photographers. They're like paid guns for hire. They basically come along, they shoot the campaign, but all the creative and all the ideation that goes behind the themes, the set, all that stuff is chosen by people who produce the thing, to, who produce the shoot together. Maybe it's in conjunction with a designer, with a creative director, with a sales team, whatever it is. But photographers have very little to do in the creative, um, you know, or the ex- you know, in the creative aspect that goes into a shoot. Maybe the execution they obviously do, but the creative bit they don't do. So they tried to bury them. Then they tried to bury the production company that, that helped to put this together. And production is far-reaching. Production is very broad. It could mean just you putting a photographer in the same room as a stylist. That could count as production. It could mean you helping them to formulate or to kind of put together what the idea of the shoot should be. That could also be production. But to throw them under the bus, um, making it seem like they were responsible for it, was disgusting and obscene to say the least. And they've basically taken zero to no personal responsibility about the whole thing then demna's refusal to really speak about it has been pretty telling and kind of i think for the most part should open up people's eyes in terms of like how very little these guys care about social issues or what's going on in real life because he kind of flat out refused to comment and say anything about it until it got too bad and i think maybe with the leaking of the messages i saw I think Kanye maybe linked a message where he was talking to Demna and Demna was like, oh, Demna's for love. Love is Demna. Those kind of vague nonsense kind of comments that people, you know, elites kind of make to sort of quell any sort of unrest and don't necessarily say anything. But obviously it got to a breaking point where he had to officially say something and he did on Instagram. This is Demna's message that he put out there, his personal message. He says, I want to clarify the personal apologies for the wrong artistic trace of concept for the gifting campaign with the kids i take my responsibility it was inappropriate to have kids promote objects that had nothing to do with them as much as i would sometimes like to provoke a thought through my work sometimes i would never have an intention that with such an awful project or awful so awful subject as child abuse that i condemn period come on I want to learn from this, listen and engage with the child protection organization to know how I can contribute and help on this terrible project. I apologize to anyone who offended with the visuals and the Balenciaga um, has guaranteed that adequate measures will be taken not only to avoid similar mistakes in the future, but also to take accountability in protecting child welfare in every way we can. Sincerely, Demna so pretty no vague of you know general whatever apology but in the end i feel like the only thing that currently needs to be said about this is it goes to show that in general fashion doesn't necessarily stand for anything i don't think these guys generally went into the shoot trying to elicit thoughts of child trafficking of child abuse or any sort of thing i just literally do think it was one of those kind of oh let's try and be edgy let's try and be cool Let's try and be subversive. Um, you know, I'm sure if you're putting together a shoot for a company and they decide to do a shoot in the office and you need to get some props and some papers, 
it might be quite edgy and quite funny to go online and figure out some court rulings or court documents that you can get a hold of maybe some acts that put into place controversial they may be in print those and put them on the, on the flipping table that might be somewhat cool especially it might be a good way for you to kind of get some props and you know tell somebody over cocktails like hey i was a person that printed those documents and gave that shoot the extra edge i just literally think that was the intention and that was it it didn't really go as far as i don't think it's as deep as people are making it out to be but i do welcome the scrutiny of the normies the scrutiny of the conservative right that they're kind of laying it thick on the fashion elites and essentially making them have to justify and clarify the things that they do because i think for the longest time these motherfuckers have tried to pretend like what they do is very deep it's not that deep some of them are better than others but for the most part it's not as deep as you think it is they all are employed to make you know cool pieces of clothing that people will try and buy season in season out even though they bought something last season so it's not the most um uh, ingenious um occupation in the world but it's also not the deepest but they try to make it seem as if they try to make it seem these guys are philosophers and thought leaders and you know that they have something to actually say about everyday life when they don't they're basically a mirror to what we have going on in life sometimes they can act as an amplifier but in terms of talking and giving real thought and attention into what people are, go are going about in their everyday life they don't have any any idea whatsoever it's just a shoe and essentially it blew up in their faces and i'm happy with that to be honest because i've never in my personal opinion anyway i've never really been comfortable with this whole um let's make kids into consumers thing that's been going on in fashion and in streetwear i think i saw it kind of being obviously recent example would be essence if i'm not mistaken essence recently launched like a kids um section of their site where essentially you can buy the same designers that you'd find on the main site and kids versions as rick owens and all this other high luxury level type of branding and at first i feel like it's always been gross like you know giving your kid a baby rolex giving the kid balenciaga sneakers is just terrible it's already bad enough when you're a consumer and you're a slave to these brands when you're an adult but i feel like when you're a child you should be allowed to be a kid and then you decide to flip in spunk all your money to these flipping nonsense fashion companies that don't stand for anything then that's one thing but to subject those kids to materialism at that kind of age and for them to place that kind of value on those sort of things is gross because you see it especially in the videos of these rappers who share videos of them kind of putting gold chains and you know watches expensive clothes on their kids you can see in the kids eyes that they're figuring out that their parents put a lot of value in this and this means something they don't actually have any idea what the value of this is and what it actually means but they can see in their parents eyes and they start reacting to it and suddenly you're you know b before you know it you're flipping breeding or you're flipping um helping this monster to evolve into a bigger monster when they get older it's, it's honestly setting this stuff a fail so hopefully this will be the end of trying to make kids to be runway models and just let them be kids when they're kids and then if they want to grow up to be consumers fair enough that is but forcing them to wear those type of clothes and having them have this level of expectation and entitlement and all that sort of stuff is just gross beyond belief in my opinion gross beyond belief but it had also been extremely funny to see the reaction of the celebs and none other than a kim kardashian because obviously she's become the muse of Balenciaga over the last few months and stuff. And I thought her reaction to it was pretty hilarious because again, much like the fashion people don't really stand for anything. So I don't necessarily think any um, ill intention went behind that Balenciaga kid shoot. I don't think they really wanted to promote or to um, excuse 
or to do like a psyop on flipping child abuse or anything i don't think it was that deep i legitimately do think it was just them just trying to be edgy maybe trying to cause a provoke some sort of reaction but i don't think it really was meant to say anything more than what it basically said look at these cute kids standing around all these cute items uh all these flipping you know expensive items strewn out on the floor holding this weird teddy bear that's essentially what it was but you would think if you were a Kardashian, especially if you were like a you know a mum of four like Kim Kardashian is, and especially with somebody that kind of used the whole mum thing as a trophy in your cabinet, it kind of feels like with the Kardashians, they kind of use you know the, the ability to have kids and have a family as a way to make them seem wholesome and normal, just like you and all this sort of nonsense. You'd think they'd have some sort of principled, moral, ethical line in the sand when it involved children even if the outrage is misplaced even if it is a bit exaggerated and a bit overblown you'd think there'd be some sort of breaking point okay now you've gone too far here here's my line you didn't know that line existed because i keep it to myself but you've crossed my line and i'm over it that can be somewhat respectable even though i still think it's a little bit ott and a little bit look at me i still feel like if you're a parent and you reacted strongly to the balenciaga thing i can understand why but I like this non-response and non-reaction from the Kardashians because it exposes just how lacking in morals and principles the entire family are. Because Ben Shaga lines their pockets with money and opportunities and whatever it may be, there's no real need to cut them off because they pay. Even if, even if, for all intents and purposes, that shoot was to exploit children or was to or was used as a basis to promote child abuse they don't care because Balenciaga are basically paying them that's essentially what they're saying i'm not they, don't, they shouldn't obviously been there if they don't want to be there but i just love how they don't have any principled or moral stance on anything really for the most part and i just love the fact that people keep asking them to have a position on it when they don't have it and people get keep being surprised at their reaction that's the thing that made me surprised that kind of makes me laugh the most and this is kim Kardashian's um response to the you know resounding amounts of the you know this is kim Kardashian's response to the probably flood of requests that she was getting to comment on the whole blanchard thing she says i've been quiet for the past few days not because i haven't been disgusted or i've been quiet for the past few days not because i haven't been disgusted and outraged by the recent blanchard campaigns but because i wanted an opportunity to speak to the team to understand for myself how this could have happened as a mother of four <laughs> fuck off it reminds me of what chris jenner said um as a 67 year old mum, can you just leave me alone remember Kanye was doing that stuff to her she said i think i remember reading that thinking wow these girls had no chance if their mom speaks like that like imagine being a 70 year old mother and saying i'm i'm a i'm a nearly 60 year old mom yeah, i think that's what she said i'm nearly 60 years old and you're abusing me leave me alone it's like huh anyway continues as a mother of four as a black man <laughs> <laughs> It's like when people do that annoying thing on Twitter when the experts reply to a thread. Do any doctors know why this hap why so and so happens? Uh and if someone reply, Doctor here, da -da -da -da. um cardiologist here, um vet here. It's like go oh, fuck off, man. Fucking know it all. Anyway, it continues. As a mother of four, I've been shaken by the disturbing images. The safety of children must be held with the highest regard, and any attempts to normalize child abuse of any kind should have no place in our society, period. He said, she said, period. Uh, Demna said, period. Everyone's saying, period. I appreciate Balenciaga's removal of the campaign and an apology. In speaking with them, I believe they understand the seriousness of this issue and will take necessary measures to, uh, for this to never happen again. 
as for my future with Balenciaga, I'm currently reevaluating my relationship with the brand. Yeah, right, you are. Um, basing it off of their willingness to accept their accountability for something that should have never happened to begin with and the actions I'm expecting them to take to protect children. Absolutely incredible. Cut ties at the Blair White, the first reply. Cut ties completely or you're full of shit, Kim. You're very ob obviously kicking the ball down the road so you can continue your business relationship with them once the show's over. It's not difficult to draw the line at child porn and your inability to do so is telling. That's what I'm saying. It's, they, don't, they don't have a line. And I feel like it's unfair to lambast them for that because I feel like most people don't really have a line. I feel like most people's lines are just like dictated by social media. People don't really be upset about the things that they be pretending they're upset about because if they would, if they if they did, then the proof will be in the pudding, right? If if people were legitimately upset by what like what flipping Kanye West says, he'd be on the street, he'd be out in the street begging for tips or begging for money. But the fact that he's still a multimillionaire basically proves that the majority of his fans don't care if he decides to flip and get a Hitler tattoo on his chest or something, or paint the swastikas on his fucking ribs in the shape of a fucking, in, in the same place that maybe Tupac had a fuck life, he gets flipping swastika or Adolf Hitler writ on the flip. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think people actually care. That's a legitimate point of this whole thing. Because I do think as annoying and as frustrating as this family is, the Kardashians, I feel like they are just a mirror on our society. They are basically the worst of us magnified, right? But just very rich, very influential and all that kind of stuff. But they're essentially no different than us regular people for the most part. I don't think so. Um, and But I just, I, it made me laugh when I originally read the tweet because I was like, rah, man, like you legitimately have no line. There is no, there is no line in the sand for you. Whether it's kids, whether it's race, um, whether it's, you know, uh, inequality in the workplace, um, whatever it may be, whether it's inequality overall, there is nothing, there's a line, there's no like line where someone can say something, step over it, and then you're kind of done with them. It's just, no, as long as they're paying me, everything's cool. It's like, Jesus Christ, man, what a life to live. But yeah, that was quite hilarious to see that. And the other one that was really funny too was this one, which is, a bit out of order i feel like but the kylie jenner one was pretty telling i think people are trying to get her on tiktok so this is courtesy of cosmopolitan it says kylie jenner responds to claim she used um photos of her children to cover up for balenciaga <laughs> she got baited into this one this is a classic troll she kind of she bit the bait um kylie jenner has waded into the controversy surrounding balenciaga taken to social media to deny claims that she's covering up for the fashion brand to recap, Balenciaga found itself in the center of controversy following the release of its latest campaign. The series of adverts featured children carrying their brand's plush bear but They called them plush bear bags, you know. They should be just called BDSM bags, which were wearing um, S&M style harnesses. Another advert for their hourglass bags displayed the documents of the Supreme Court um, related to child pornography cases. In a statement posted on Instagram stories, the label apologized for the care, you know, blah, blah. since their many eyes have been placed on the Kardashians and Jenner family who frequently sport the brand at events. Now Kylie has broken her silence on the controversy after being accused by social media users of posting um, photos of her children in distress. Sorry, posting photos of her children to distract from the Balenciaga drama. This reminds me of like, you know, when YouTubers they did do apologies. They have that sigh. <sighs> and then they also do that thing where if they're doing an apology, halfway through the apology, especially if it's not the greatest, they'll have a pet run onto the set. Oh my God, Henry or Oscar, what are you doing? Like a cute dog or cute cat or some monkey will come, you know, funneling down somewhere and suddenly they'll, you know, they'll kind of take all the attention away from um, how terrible the apology is. But yeah, whatever. 
Uh, Chris Jenner telling her kids, yeah, Chris, <laughs> the comment was, listen, it's a comment. <laughs> yeah, the comments are, Chris Jenner telling her kids to release the good photos of the Blaine Schrager scandal, right? And then she, here's her response. Um, uh, why would I pose a child to cover up for Balenciaga? This is why I don't do this. Always something to say, which is a classic deflection because you didn't really address the comment and you also just like addressed it, right? It's a good deflection because you addressed it, but you didn't really address the comment. You just kind of addressed it and kind of kept it moving. But I thought that was absolutely hilarious. I thought that was absolutely hilarious. People expecting the world from these people when essentially they get paid for this. This is what they get paid for. They get paid to look beautiful and to wear expensive garments. That's essentially what they get paid to do. Expect them to do anything other than that is really silly, to be honest. If I'm completely honest, it really is the height of silliness. But hey, who am I to tell people how to do things? Who am I? Oh, yeah. And then I wanted to end the show by touching upon the one year anniversary of Virgil Abloh's passing. Pretty crazy to think it's been a year already, man. One year since Virgil Abloh unfortunately passed away due to cancer um obviously something that he kept private for the most part i think unless you were a close family or friend no one really knew about it um which was quite good as well because it meant that no one was actually spreading rumors because he actually told his actual friends and family because i heard nothing about it whatsoever maybe if i was closer to the scene and stuff i might have heard whispers but from my really removed point of view i heard absolutely zero about it even on the forums and stuff so it's pretty cool to see people were basically able to respect his wishes and keep that news to himself and he was able to kind of battle that stuff in private and spend those kind of last few moments you know in some sort of relative peace with his family and whatnot um unfortunately at that time which probably was a bit bittersweet but um it kind of made me think just in general about his last legacy and i feel like when it first happened i remember i streamed about it and i was quite taken aback because it kind of came out of the blue obviously for most people myself included and i was weirdly affected by it which makes sense because obviously i had worked with the guy previously i was obviously a fan of his from the, for the minute from 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 day dot actually and um i kind of followed his entire journey i went to work for that company where i was doing where i helped to kind of co-produce the entire curriculum for this online streetwear program and i essentially went there because i've had a feeling that he might be the person leading the streetwear program and if i'm not mistaken i actually if i'm not mistaken i actually put what i do yeah i actually made the the initial sort of uh pitch that i had to present myself the kind of deck that i used was essentially me kind of having an idea on how a course led by Virgil Abloh would look like. I'm actually going to try and rummage through my documents and see if I can, on my inbox, see if I can kind of pull that PDF up and kind of share it and show you guys exactly what I was kind of going for in terms of um, what I kind of presented when I went to that company. And you can see some of the stuff that I was talking about back then. It's quite funny. I think I made it on like Photoshop or something, still PDF thing that I did, which was, um, which was handy because at the time it kind of allowed me to make that step of my career. But, I'm just reflecting on his legacy and I think when I made that original video, I think one of the things I remember saying was that the thing that I will take as a lesson and something I'll kind of carry forward is definitely that relentless kind of just do it and make sure you ship and posting your work type of mentality that Virgil had. I've not really done maybe the posting of your work thing, but in terms of just continually putting out every idea that I have, I've so far did it, especially since the time that he's passed until now. And I feel like that kind of energy that he kind of put out there into universe has allowed me to kind of take this pod that I do and the live streams I do and the other thing, bits and bobs that I do to come out. It's allowed me to kind of take that to the next level because I feel like for someone like him, 
he was never too precious. He never really seemed like somebody who was resting on his laurels or took his position as ever, however lofty it might have been, and took it for granted. He definitely somebody that saw, like, regardless of his station, he still treated it as if he was that intern that was kind of, you know, working on shoes at Fendi with Kanye back in the day. He still saw it as him doing PDFs for, you know, doing PDF flyers. Sorry, sketching up uh, flyers on Photoshop for his raves and stuff. He saw it the same way, even though he's working on that higher level. So I feel like that was super inspiring to see. And I think for myself, you know, being an older dude, it was that inspiring. And I can't imagine how inspiring it must have been for a kid being 16 and seeing this guy going from, you know, designing that initial off-white collection um, and having ASAP Mob sort of like modeling it and shit and then see him take that all the way to Louis Vuitton, the Nike collaboration, the IKEA stuff, everything else in between, the DJing, the touring, the activations, all this mad stuff, the bin trills, the, you know, the, the, the empowering of the denim tears, um, of the Heron Prestons and all this sort of stuff. It's been incredible to watch it in real time. Legitimately incredible. And the other thing that I think that's really kind of important to see also is that in the end, that kind of relentless need to always be creating and to always put his shit out has essentially put him in the position where his wife can continue on his legacy as there's a recent um, interview that she did with new york times shannon ablo bless you and it's absolutely incredible that i think in part of the article they say that they have a roadmap of things that he's done and projects they're going to release and whatnot for the next 50 years for the next 50 years that they have all that kind of content that he'd done so imagine what he would have been able to do if he was still around but he's been able to that kind of you know um way of thinking that way of approaching work has put himself in a position where he's able to provide for his family way 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 long past his death he's also been able to um supply people with inspiration for years and years and years and years to come it's legitimately incredible to see because we already seen what the flipping Basquiat family have been able to do with such a small and short period of John Michel Basquiat's life. They've been able to rinse and repeat and stretch that bad boy out, you know, for decades and decades and decades. And Virgil Abloh has been able to do that in real time, but do it times 100 to the point where there's 50 years up and coming. But who knows what might come in the next 50, which might add another 50 on top of it. It's pretty incredible. So for me, that's the lasting legacy I'll take away from Virgil is definitely just always be putting your ideas out there however silly however dumb they may be in your head put them out there especially if you crave because there's one of the things that we all have is that block is that fear of shipping is that fear of showcasing is that fear of uploading that fear of printing that fear of you know ideating of drafting of prototyping of selling all those things people have a fear of and essentially the real kind of um the kind of the real bittersweet part of that is that if you don't ship, if you don't showcase your art, no one will know what you do. And if no one knows what you do, you won't have the ability to do other cooler things in the future, like collaborations or work with people. Like you need to be able to put yourself out there in order for people to kind of want to use you and kind of tap into your resources. It's kind of one of those kind of catch-22 situations. So just put more work out there. And obviously the other part as well is just the kindness factor of it, like treating people well. Because I feel like in the last year, like we already see what happened when Kanye tried to talk ill of Virgil's name, Tremaine came out, bucked out the flamethrower and lit Kanye up to the point where he's never addressed him in that way again. 
right? Kanye essentially lit that boy up. I mean, Tremaine lit Kanye up, exposed him for being a crappy friend, essentially. And it seems like everybody goes out of their way to really defend Virgil's le Abloh's legacy. And that goes to show that that kind of um, is credit to his character. It's credit to the man that he was, that he's been, you know, he left such an um, oversized influence and oversized impression on people that they're defending him long after he's passed. Even, you know, like imagine someone like Tremaine defending him um, against somebody like a Kanye, who maybe you would say, you know, maybe has more right to say anything he wants about, you know, um, his Virgil than maybe Tremaine does. But I think that goes to speak to the character of this guy, the strength of his character, that someone like a Tremaine will step up and be able to be like, hey, you know what? Now, nah, you're not going to be saying that in Virgil's name, not in his name. Don't bring all your nonsense and attach his name to it. You're not that guy. And I feel like that's probably two of the things that a lot of people in the creative industry probably don't have. I feel like once you do put all your work out there, once you are successful, suddenly your personality changes. I think we've all seen it. We've all got our little people in our scenes, whether they're artists, whether they work in galleries, whether they work in showrooms, whether they own brands, whether they're stylists, whether they are. We all know people who they got a little bit of fame, they got a little bit of a promotion, they got a little bit more of attention and suddenly they turned into dickheads. And I feel like if Virgil didn't turn into a dickhead, even though he was incredibly well-known incredibly clouded up as the kids will say i feel like you with your little flipping you know community manager role in whatever dog shit brand that you're working in you have no right to suddenly feel like you're fucking kareem Reutfeld. you need to wind your neck in and chill if virgil was able to be decent and shake people's hands and look people in the eye when he's talking to them and give them actual handshakes none of that kind of loose loosey-goosey fashion handshake shit then you should also do that look people in the eye have confidence treat people with respect you know be courteous um and just walk with grace and essentially even though you know he's no longer here his grace has lived on basically in everybody to the point where people are legitimately defending his honor against one of the biggest stars in the world and you know and he kind of won that banner battle obviously it's not a winning or losing battle but you know what i mean so that is basically i feel like virgil's legacy and like i said it's really heartbreaking to kind of think that it's been a year since that guy passed because you know number one the years go by so quickly and number two it's such a um gone too soon type of moment because he had so much more to give i feel like but you know the great thing about it especially when you're a creative kind of similar to what they say about architects you know when you build these amazing buildings and you, you essentially it's like a way for you to kind of commemorate yourself so that your legacy and your self lives on where long past your death because these buildings stay out for you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years so with his products and with his ideation um all of those things will live on for many many years they're going to inspire many many kids generations to come and essentially you know he'll become a f un unfortunately the unfortunate part of life is that he'll end up being a far bigger star and influence dead than he was alive even though when he was alive he was doing the thing man he was doing the thing you think back to that period between like 2019-ish or maybe 2018 to 2021. Oof. Or 20, no, let's say 2018 to 2020. He was on fire, bruv. The projects, God almighty. I don't think you'll see a, a more harder working dude in fashion ever, uh, in my opinion, especially in this modern era because I feel like people nowadays, you know, they... um everyone's crying about fucking burnout and mental health and all that stuff but it's it seemed like he didn't ever you didn't hear him ever complain about his workload he embraced it he even bragged about it right like one one hour like you know two hours ago i was, I was in flipping this location here i am in this location designing this location or that location like he, he he embraced the chaos of it all um in the same way that maybe carl lagerford would like to just you know be drowning in work and in flipping occup and in flipping appointments and whatnot. 
and you know meetings and that kind of stuff he kind of embraced that side of it as well so maybe we'll see that ever again but still his legacy lives on so r.i.p the great virgil abloh gone but never forgotten gone but never ever 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 forgotten next i want to quickly end actually on this this was a really interesting and i thought um sobering and quite emotional interview with shannon abloh virgil abloh's wife somebody that not a lot of people actually have actually heard from she by all intents and purposes kept herself behind the scenes and for me i i always felt she was just the wife i didn't think she was involved in fashion or the industry whatsoever in what any part whatsoever but i guess she played a far more important role in his life and in his kind of career than it was led to believe but she was happy to kind of play from behind the scenes but obviously since he's passed she decided to kind of take um control of his estate and sort of be the person maybe kind of knitting all that stuff together so there's a sort of a cohesive message and um, it's kind of going out the right way bloody blah 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 but i thought in general just hearing from her and hearing how she saw virgil especially as a husband as a partner um as a dad as a family man as a friend is really really cool to see in my opinion it's absolutely cool to see so this is courtesy of um new york times it says shanna abloh is ready to talk in her first interview virgil abloh's widow steps out of the shadows and takes charge it says here in early November, a few weeks before the anniversary of the death of her husband, Virgil Abloh, founder of Off-White Men, Shannon Abloh flew to Chicago to New York to accept the award on his behalf. The award had been bestowed by the Cash Fashion Council's Design of America during Gala Evening, and though Mr. Abloh had been nominated often during his lifetime and had always put on a tux and gone to the ceremony, Miss Abloh had not. She had stayed at home with their two young children and, and dogs. Just as she had stayed in the background when her husband went to the Met Gala with Kendall Jenner or as or was a DJ at, at Coachella. As public as Mr. Abloh had been during around the world, sending WhatsApp messages to various artistic circles from around the globe, Miss Abloh had been private. She had never given an interview. There are a few photographs of the couple together. And when Rihanna and Asa Brooke and Lauren Hill and Tyler Crypto went to Chicago for Miss Abloh's memorial service at the Museum of Contemporary Art in December, it was the first many had ever been in Abloh's home. You know what's funny? When I was in the scene heavy... I would used to make this joke of how kind of vapid and empty scene relationships are because they're essentially what have you done for me lately and clout games, right? All the people that were kind of around me or in my orbit when I was around town doing parties and stuff and being a cool kid aren't here anymore because I'm not of that value to them. I can't offer them bookings. My party isn't cool. I don't have any parties. So that they stand next to me in the picture doesn't actually mean anything and I can't really offer them anything. And suddenly the relationship kind of goes away. And I was saying the real mark of a friendship, especially if somebody that you're associated with in a scene should be if they know your mom's name. They don't need to know her, her surname or anything or any details about her. Maybe met her in person, but does your friend in the scene know your mom's name because surely if you're friends there has to come a point where you know you're talking about your parents or your family or something and they have to kind of know that sort of stuff and it's funny in this kind of period in this kind of section of the article where it mentions that some of the her the close people around virgil because clearly you have to be quite close to be able to go to that memorial service didn't actually know probably that miss abloh what she actually looked like and they had never been to his house ever before don't get me wrong maybe the house thing is a bit of a stretch because he clearly was never at home himself he kind of prided himself on always kind of being everywhere at the same time but i find that quite interesting it continues i was never it continues it was never a thing that we discussed as miss abloh um as she was getting ready for the awards referring to a decision to remain out of the spotlight 
it was just the way of our relationship worked. She was camped out at the Mercer Hotel wearing faded boyfriend jeans and a t-shirt with a pair of off-white and Jordan 4s that Mr. Abloh had dyed purple for her because purple is her favourite colour. We knew we wanted to build this close family and we needed someone to be the stable partner. I was happy to do that. I've always been somebody that's always kind of favoured these type of relationships. I feel like it's kind of cringe and a little bit lame to be the artist and also want to date or to have a family with another fellow artist. I feel like having a family or starting a family with somebody that is in a completely different sector or field than you is far more uh, of a stronger bond and would able, it's far better from character building and maybe even for compatibility's sake than finding your exact equal or your exact twin. I think that's a little bit of a um, idealistic almost naive way of looking at relationships i feel like sometimes opposites are better because they do attract and obviously i feel like they make for a far better foundation in my personal opinion especially when you're working at that type of level if you're both trying to make it and shannon abloh has her own fashion line and she's trying to build from the ground up and you know virgil's got his stuff that he's doing he's trying to build from the ground up and god forbid one person isn't doing as well as the other person it's hard not to have you know ill will for the other person and have that kind of effective relationship and you know you're bringing all that drama back home whereas if Virgil's able to be that guy that he was when he was around and Shana was able to be the doting loving amazing mother at home when you come home you can essentially unplug and be Mr. Family Man and not have somebody indulge or you know um, fan your you know industry delusions or conspiracy theories or gossip whatever it may be you can legitimately unplug and i don't know talk about the kardashians or something that's pretty cool to have i think and i think that is a far better and far healthier way to look at relationships than trying to find your exact equal that's just my opinion anyway now however the spotlight was has found her after a year of standing by politely as pandas and boldface names expounded on miss abloh's life and work and what he would have wanted miss abloh 41 decided it's time for her to define her husband's legacy herself this is the interesting part for me this is the really interesting part for me because i've seen this and i kind of vomit in my mouth because i feel like this is a really horrendous and ugly mirror to hold up at the industry and what it's actually about but also it could just be an anecdote and something to not really bother about too much but this section really kind of troubled me it says as follows it belongs to me it belongs to his children shannon abloh said after his passing so many people came up to me and said virgil was my best friend his best friend in the fashion industry his best friend in the music world a lot of his collaborators or even people who maybe weren't that close to him feel i can do this to help his legacy or i can do that to help his legacy it's like this train that's going 500 miles per hour and i just thought I have to stay on this train because if I don't, I don't know where it's going to go. That's my place and my passion or in my position, sorry. <sighs> For me, that is disgusting because if we're led to believe what this article is saying is true, a lot of Virgil Abloh's supposed best friends had never been to his house. And some of these people probably had never met Shannon Abloh in person or had ever exchanged more than a couple of words to her or a couple of courtesy waves or nods. They suddenly get to talk to her in a really distressing moment, right? Her husband has just passed away. To us, he's this Goliath in fashion and in culture called Virgil Abloh. But to her, that's just her husband. That's, you know, that's her partner, somebody that she, you know, had grown up with for a, a large part of her life and a raised a family with. And now he's suddenly gone. And you're having to deal with that in real time. And you've got people coming up to you, maybe at the memorial service, saying, I'm his best friend. And you have no idea who they are. 
and they're basically trying to position themselves in a place where they can stand next to you to maybe I wouldn't say monetarily profit off it I don't think these guys are that sick but basically to get that rub to get that shine because that's what Virgil was basically famous for him and really good at despite his station in life he didn't mind like you know with me you know leaving a comment on a post or something or double tapping a picture or reading a dm or sharing something in his stories that you did like he was really really loose and free with sharing the clout he didn't necessarily care he'd follow anybody right you look at the many people look at there's no i don't think you'd find another person of his level that follows the amount of people that he does on instagram just a clear example of it so i think these people were maybe trying to position themselves in a place where they could stand next to this Virgil's Bablo securities and this kind of idea of kind of you know helping to foster and maintain and nurture and spotlight and highlight his great works and influence for decades and decades to come so they could gain from it somehow that's how I look at it anyway and I feel like it's horrible it's horrible this woman's kind of in one of the toughest places possible trying to figure out how she's going to navigate through life was more than happy to play the second fiddle quote-unquote or behind the scenes and let her superstar husband do his thing and live this amazing happy cheerful life raising these kids away from the spotlight cheers and then you're suddenly suddenly stepping into it clearly you're not comfortable with it because if you were you would have come in front of the camera before and certainly the lights and now you're being inundated with all these flipping people telling you that they're his best friend and they want to help out i feel like it's so gross it's so um it's so lacking in tact in class but if anything i'm not surprised these are what these people are like in the industry they are fucking horrible 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 human beings outside of what they do right they create great works they obviously influence culture to a certain extent but in terms of human beings the worst and imagine in her you know in the most painful moment that's what you're asking about anyway it continues um that's the shoe he designed for the ground up. Um, this is the last May. She created Virgil Securities to unite his creative ventures, including Alaska Alaska, which is a creative studio in London and a joint venture with a Nike called Architecture. She is chief executive. This week, we shall introduce a four-day festival by Virgil Securities and Nike during Miami Art next week, designed to celebrate Mr. Abelow's life and open source his ideas. She hopes it will become an annual event, which is definitely cool. So hopefully that becomes successful. Obviously, these events, if the first one doesn't go well, you're not going to get second one but hopefully we'll see that going forward um centered at the rubel museum it will include discussions workshops and exhibitions at the nike terraforma and the first sneaker miss abelow created from scratch for nike and it's a big release there'll also be a musical festival with performances chosen by miss abelow and a skateboarding competition and um i love this as well amid the cartier's yeah i thought this was really nice right amid the cartier's it was a childhood alphabet uh, bracelet that reads I love you their son Gray 6 made it for her in September on what would have been Miss Abloh's 42nd birthday because she said he knew I was sad I'm going to cry and I Miss Abloh said clasping her hands her friend Marcy Haley whom she has known since their early 20s who had come along to keep her company jumped up and handed her a tissue Miss Abloh got two tattoos after Abloh's death one on the inside of her wrist Scott Campbell the celebrity tattooist had attended the memorial and had offered to do whatever she wanted Scott Campbell's an absolute G, by the way. Check out his interview on How Long Gone. He's absolute top boy. Mr. Abloh had gone through a major tattoo period, so Miss Abloh thought she made, it made sense. On their wedding anniversary in 2021, Miss Abloh had written her love letter. So on her love letter, on, so on her left wrist is a quote that says, like a ton of bricks, inked in handwriting. He always had, I love you like a ton of bricks. He always said, sorry to her, I love you like a ton of bricks. And on her right, it says, a love letter. It was like we knew what he was going to pass. 
it wasn't like we knew it was going to pass at Miss Ablo. Ablo learned of his cardiac, um, angry sarcoma, a rare heart cancer in January 2019. But they had decided to keep his own a secret for all his closest friends. He didn't want people to look at him and think, are you okay? A beautiful picture here with Virgil and two of their kids in Paris. Even though we knew the challenge of what we were fighting, it went a lot faster than we thought it was going to. So we never had this legacy that I want you to work towards discussion. But because I was with him for so long, I knew every inch of his of him. I knew every inch of his brain. The two men at high school circle game when she was seventeen. They both were living in Rockford, um, Illinois. I'm going to different schools. She was dating someone else, but the next week, Virgil put a dozen roses on her car. She drove a black Nissan Pathfinder with a left with a letter explaining why she should dump the boyfriend and start dating him. After that, even when he went to University of Wisconsin in Madison to study civil engineering, because of his father wanted him to, she was finishing her senior year. They stayed together. They were together through her time studying marketing in Edgewood College in Madison and his time studying architecture at the Illinois Institute of Technology in Chicago. And through her first years in the city, she lived with two girlfriends in a walk-up then. And he, instead of being an architect, started working with Kanye West. They were together, she said, um, from when he drove a green Honda and wore Jenko jeans and wrapper and polo shirt and thought square boxes were so cool for houses. At the time, Abloh liked ornate French decor. When Miss Abloh was flying around the world with Mr. West, she was working... Um, at yahoo and would join him when she could he proposed by telling her he'd go to australia and ask her to drop him off at the airport when she got out of the passenger side of oha to sweat to swap seats drive back home he was on his knee on the ground at first she said she thought he had fallen on the car she stopped working after the birth of their first daughter but virgil and Ablo, virgil and i talked about everything he would show me sketches for his latest collection play his dj sets uh, michael burke the chief executive of louis vuitton who was one of the few people who knew miss Ablo's diagnosis remembered um seeing miss Ablo backstage her husband's louis vuitton show standing in the shadows as guests fought to air kiss virgil and take selfies with him so clearly a woman that knew you know the position and and the place that she played in the relationship and you know did it very 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 well for the most part and now she's been put in a position where she's basically having to manage this entire state and kind of make it work and do right by his legacy but also do right by her family it must be a lot to juggle in real time and i really don't envy it in the slightest and it must be such a hard way to do it also without him kind of next to her side so thoughts and feelings go out to her man prayers and strength as always to shannon ablo it continues she'd be watching very proud as also a little incredulous friends would wonder how Miss Abloh managed to be in so to not be insecure about her husband endlessly photographed with Bella Hadid. She just wasn't, said Miss Haley. This New York Times story is a bit gross, man, to be honest, including that bit about the friends, what they said at the memorial, and then asking the friends to comment on this story or this rumor that oh, maybe Virgil Abloh was dating Bella Hadid in the background. Slide. Nah, I don't get that vibe from him. I got the vibe that he was just a consummate professional. And legitimately saw those girls, Gigi and Bella Hadid, as the muses as they are now, often regarded to, right? As much as people kind of lament them and the family, they are essentially our modern day muses. And he basically just saw them for what they are and wanted to celebrate them and have them near as possible because he kind of used them as sort of inspiration sources. They probably saw him as a, you know, one of the rare safe people that they can maybe hang around. You see the video that vogue put together in the wake of virgil passing where they did his interviews with all these people in fashion and Gigi hadid was legitimately sobbing now she could be just be a a normal person i guess she could be a person who maybe gets emotional all the time and cries as a kind of you know reflex but the way that she was crying made me believe that 
that guy was a legit great guy like actual great guy like she was sobbing for real and that for me proves that he was not touching them and you know being flipping inappropriate or having flipping side of relationships it was legitimately a professional relationship and they respected him a lot looked up to him a lot and that is what it was but to ask this lady this kind of question or anyone associated with her in the wake of this guy's death to just kind of profile it just feels a bit gross a bit disgusting maybe it just mean i'm being a bit whatever but i don't like it um it continues um i love this bit also that i didn't know this was pretty good um, in July 2021, Mr. Abloh sold off White to LVMH, which now all makes sense, mostly to ensure his future and to take on a larger role of the organization. But also, it's because it meant Mr. Abloh, the children, would have been taken care of, which is awesome because if he would have survived his illness, he would have then had a larger role in LVMH, which then could have spawned other things going forward. But if unfortunately he did pass, which he did, he would have the opportunity to basically look after his children for ever and ever and ever, basically. During the pandemic lockdowns, the family mostly stayed out there. Wester West Weekend House in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. I know that COVID was an incredibly hard time for many people, Miss Abler said, but for us it was an amazing time because Virgil didn't have to make excuses to get out of shows or DJing. No one could go anywhere, so we were able to have those last two and a half years together. That's why I'm going to end it there. I feel like that's the most like bittersweet part of it overall. The fact that COVID essentially allowed the family to kind of be together during the last parts of Virgil's life because he didn't have to jet around the world anymore. He didn't have to make excuses to leave, which I am definitely someone that can attest to those because when I was working with him, you know, from afar at Mastered and doing that online streetwear program thing, one thing that I remembered being a real issue, a real point of contention that the founders were really getting annoyed with and the people that were running the company was the fact that we couldn't pin Virgil down in terms of doing content because he was always flying, you know, back and forth from studio and whatnot and you know meetings and he'd often fly back to visit his family in chicago like he legitimately didn't even try to move them over to europe next to his studio or go well, at the time he was doing off-white to move them close to his studio in milan no he was jetting back and forth back and forth back and forth crazy work ethic and tipping stamina that he had during those times and that was always to go visit his family so any excuse he had any time he had to go back visit his family he'd go visit them so all this stuff that i'm reading now about him makes complete sense and um it's just bittersweet you know what i mean like covid happens they get time to look after to, to be together as a family for a two and a half period but you also know it maybe is the last two and a half years that you're gonna have with this person um but yeah r.i.p to the legend um you know force and feelings go out to shannon Abloh and the family hope they stay strong and they have the right ones around them for sure and yeah i love the profile the picture's fucking amazing she looks beautiful here really well done the 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 often rumored um off-white jordan fours that people are saying were fake are, are definitely not fake because we've seen pictures of them in the museum and obviously they're done on their feet there will they eventually come out we're not really too sure but regardless i love the profile i love the picture it looks amazing um hopefully this festival goes really well in art basel and we get to see it every year so that we can remember the great man's legacy forever and ever so that was been the Excellent Zing Show episode number 526. Thanks again for tuning in. It's been a pleasure to have your company. If you're watching this on the video portion of the show, it's going to fade out to black. If you're listening to this via the podcast version, it will, it will, it will play my tune the day at the end. So hang on tight for that. But until then, I will see you guys very, very soon. Have a good one. Enjoy the rest of your week. And we'll see each other again very, very soon, my friends. Take care.